You're listening to Peace in Lovecast, a podcast about music, lyrics, and life lessons inspired by D'Angelo. With yours truly, Odelia. Now, you know, I had to close out season two with a bang. And this extra special guest is probably the most requested interview from Peace and Love cast listeners, aside from D'Angelo, of course. And I don't think they need an introduction, but with all due respect, here goes. As Kendra Foster circled the globe with George Clinton and P-Funk All-Stars and D'Angelo and the Vanguard, she made a few pit stops along the way which included scooping up two Grammys for her work on D'Angelo's Black Messiah album and writing and recording a solo album infused with her heart, thoughts, and musical ministry. On the heels of her work, co-writing Grammy-winning song, Really Love, and Grammy-winning album, Black Messiah with D'Angelo, she independently released her solo single, Promise to Stay Here, and her self-titled album, Kendra Foster, Both releases garnered millions of streams. Her soul-based fusion is peppered with jazz, funk, hip-hop, rock, classical, world, electronica, and gospel. Kendra and the iconic Ray Angry formed a duo called Goldfinger and the Butterfly, and she is excited to be releasing a new upcoming album titled Here. In addition to being a solo artist and songwriter, she is an adjunct professor at the Clive Davis Institute at NYU and was featured in iconic artist Simone Lee's work presented by Creative Time at the Guggenheim Museum. Kendra has written and featured on various albums and singles across genres in addition to her independently released projects and Grammy-winning songwriting and performances. Her discography is vast and varietal. Welcome to Peace and Love Cast, Kendra. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. You don't know how much my DMs have been blowing up ever since you uh, made your appearance at the virtual listening party. (laughs) Here we are. Season finale at season two, and I'm so happy that it's you. Before we get into all the magic that is you, I just want to have a little fun, and we could start off with playing a little this or that. So I'm going to give you some or statements and you would choose which one applies. And okay. if both apply for some reason, you have to explain why. Okay. Okay, you ready? I think so, oh my gosh. All right, writing or singing? Absolutely both because I, as much as I love to create, and I really, really love to create, I absolutely love to I love to sing. I love to sing what I create. Um, and I just love to sing. If it's a beautiful feeling, it's um, meditative, it's healing, and it feels good to share. I get goosebumps sometimes when I sing. And writing is like one of my redeemable qualities, creating. So writing and singing, absolutely. Makes perfect sense to me. The next one is leading or submitting? Mm, Leading. (laughs) Okay, that was pretty straightforward. Next one is history or futurism? Both. Because by the principles in Kofa, 
you have to know where you came from to know where you're going. And I think they're equally important. History informs futurism. And then we also have the now. So I, I would say both on that one. All right. Ooh, I like this one. Business or pleasure? Ah, oh, now come on now. We should have known all these. So many of these were gonna be both. <laughs> um, you know what? I would there's a method to my badness. <laughs> there's a you know, both, but I would lean on pleasure, especially at this point in my life, because there is pleasure inside of business and freedom within discipline. And so I would lean toward pleasure because you can find it even inside of business. And so pleasure just being its wonderful self. But in that regard, I would say both too, because I think sometimes to enjoy and appreciate pleasure more, um, you know, we have to take care of our business and suit our foundation and maintenance of life and in order. And I think life is pretty pleasurable when everything is in order. Yes, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> You're pretty, I you know. The choir. Yeah, like everything is like planned out. <laughs> in my mind, I have to because it just keeps me grounded. When you talked about the foundation, like it keeps me grounded and keeps it gives me clarity uh, on how to actually move forward. So yeah, okay, business and pleasure. Okay, <laughs> last one, last one. You ready for this one? Uh oh. Peace or love? Hmm. Wow. I want to say absolutely both, although I would lean on love because love encompasses ev everything positive and love definitely promotes or contains peace. But I would have to say a both on that because peace is so precious. Peace is is something that for me lately, I feel like I've just been chasing down and love is, is so paramount, yes, but peace, you know, is, is I, I have to say both, I have to say both peace and love. <laughs> well, exactly, you just stole my line. <laughs> peace and love, yes. Okay, let's get into it. I definitely think that there is a thread of spirituality in your artistry. And I wanted to ask you your thoughts on when the divine created Kendra Foster, what ingredients did they use? Ooh. Well, love, 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 ashe, or magic, flowers laughter, orange moons and pink suns, hypnotic scents, and music. Oh, what a beautiful combination. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to agree with all those. Yeah. It's on record somewhere that George Clinton encouraged you to use all the colors of your voice and to not simply dwell on only sounding pretty. 
what is the history behind your very, very <clears throat> beautiful tone? And who are some of the influences that help to craft your very distinct sound? Oh, thank you. Um, honestly, you know, I've always been told I have a unique voice. And what's interesting is before puberty, my voice was very clear. And, and I was like a first soprano. And then the strangest thing happened, almost like the way a boy's voice changes, like when they start, you know, when they turn 13 or those teenage years, my voice became raspy. It just seemed like at first I was worried that I was kind of hoarse all the time. And so my voice became raspy and I didn't know what to do with it. And then like I heard Lauren Hill sing on Sister Act 2. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's a place for my voice. There's, there's, it's okay that it sounds raspy like this, this thing that I can't control, that I've got to learn how to work with. Because during my teenage years, um, our R&B greats were like, I was listening to like SWV and Mary J. Blige and of course Lauren. And then D'Angelo, closer to like when I was graduating, I had all those current, for me at the time, voices, you know, that I was imitating or trying to sing like or in vogue. And my parents really love music. And some of the singers that I listened to a lot um, through them were like Stevie Wonder, um, Shirley Murdoch, Anita Baker, Sade. And so I was singing along with that too and imitating that as well. And even though you're imitating, you know, my voice probably still sounded unique in in the midst of trying to imitate but also I was listening to I started listening to jazz when I was about 16 and so I was listening to Sarah Vaughn I mean mainly but also Nancy Wilson Dinah Washington um and so through you know imitating or just singing along with all these voices and and fi finding my own voice um by the time I got to college, I met, in addition to a jazz mentor, Whitney Russell, um, I also met my funk mentor, Mike Michael P. Funk Patterson, who is how I met George in the first place. And he was already trying to put me on to Mavis Staples, Tina Turner, and then most of all, Belita Woods, who I would say once I found her, um, and then in college, of course, you know, Erica Badu came out and um, and Jill Scott. And th those were another couple of voices that where I was like finding likeness and um, and influence. Um, but Belita Woods really is the at this point in my life. And at that point, by the time I was introduced to her, I was like, this is this is like this makes me think of myself this is the female voice that I can say is my influence, is that I feel aligned with. Um, and I was able to meet her through P-Funk and become very close to her. And she called me her musical soulmate. And then of course, working with George, yes, he did. He taught me to, what he called character singing because characters, 
live on forever. They're kind of like immortalized. Yeah, like when I came to him, I was definitely trying to sing pretty. I was singing jazzy. I was singing more R&B-like. And, you know, he really helped me to explore all the different voices that I had. And I would say that's another thing about Belita Woods. She sounded so many different ways, but she has a very, she had a very unique, may she rest in peace and power, unique voice. They even called her the voice. Um, So those are all the things that shaped my tone, biology, and then a, a world of influence. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So shout out to your P-Funk mentor and shout out to the late Belita Woods and of course, Baba G. You are part of the P-Funk legacy and that's a big deal. It's an elite club in my opinion. And Me too. <laughs> and I'm sure you could write a book or better yet, a musical. So I heard somewhere through the grapevine that you were interested in doing a George Clinton P-Funk musical. Is that still a thing? And if so, who would you cast in that? Oh my God, I would I would love to do that. Um, and it's not so much who I would cast as it is the songs that I would choose. Um, but I'll, I would say one person I definitely would cast to play George is Leon or wow. Leon Robinson. Wow, okay. Right, um, which I guess by your gasp, we, we know, you know, and if nothing else, we know him from the five heartbeats, yes. um, but many other things, but it's about the songs for me. Um, there are so many songs that P-Funk did from under all the different umbrellas. There's the Brides of Funkenstein have a song called Nappy. Go comb your game. Get some dippity do with dippity to you. Go comb your game. His game is nappy, nappy things. The naps are in his hair. No, nappy's nappy in the brain. Or no head, no backstage pass. That doorman oh said. No, no head, no backstage no back pass. That doorman said, yes, because, and then finally, I mean, there's plenty more songs, but, um, you came along just in time, my love, self-pity had got me down, you saved me from me and from the bottom of my heart. Baby, I owe you something good. You know, songs like that that are so either operatic or, and I know I totally destroyed Nappy because I, I messed up the words, but, um, and, and uh, No Head, No Backstage Pass, and Baby, I Owe You Something Good are from like Funkadelic. So, you know, you got Funkadelic, you got Parliament, you got uh, Brides of Funkenstein, you got Bootsy. There's so many worlds of, of P-Funk that you can pull from to create this musical and create something that really is still in that Broadway or what is typically, you know, musical theater sound because they were already there with it. Um, And yeah, so I still would love to do that. And it's about the music for me. Then once I figure out the music, 
then I would be like the cast, but definitely Leon playing George, absolutely, because I feel like he looks like him when he was young. Wow. Okay. Well, I have a very vivid imagination. So when you were thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can totally visualize this. So I think we should do it. We should try to figure out a way to make it happen. Yes. Let's do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> George is in my top three of musical icons. So yes. Yeah. Mine too. Everyone kind of knows who number one is, given this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and number two is Sly. I love me some yes. Sly. Like Sly is a very close number two. He's probably like one and a half. You know, that's <laughs> one of George's George's um, two idols. If you ask him, are Sly and then Smokey Robinson. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. At least the, the, there's more, but those are like a top two. Okay. <laughs> so that was great. I love that. I love everything you just said. So your very first album before your self-titled album, Kendra Foster, was actually recorded in 2003. And the title, <laughs> Myriad Morphonic Biocorporal Melodic Reality Shapeshifter. Did I get that right? Yes, myriad morphonic biocorporal melodic reality shapeshifter. Yes. Yes. So that album was under production deal with George Clinton. And that name, I believe, came from George Clinton as well. Or he had yes. some involvement with that. So can you give us a background on that album and its title? Well, George Clinton and um, Overton Lloyd, uh, who is one of the artists of many p-funk albums and was the artist i was very honored that he was the artist for myriad morphonic as we belovedly call it shortened um abbreviated and uh, the thing about this album is i was so young when it was created i wrote very little on this album um it was actually many producers and i was definitely under big time direction of George. Like he would go in with me and produce me. And sometimes the producers would have a hand in it as well. And then there were times when George would just be like, leave her alone. She can do it herself, you know, especially when it came to harmonies and things like that, building those things. But that album I wrote, didn't write as much on. And I'm trying to think now with all of the the songs, because like now it's been so many things that I've written and so many things (laughs) that have been released. But yeah, because I was a baby and I was under like heavy direction, thankfully, uh, with George, like from studio to studio all over the world, different studios recording these different songs. Yeah, that that's the backstory for that. Like. That is an album that I more I more embodied what I was given mm, than okay. created. Okay. So that was actually like recorded before your your self-titled album, which was released yes. first. Okay, okay. Now, speaking of your albums, can you recall where you were spiritually when you released them into the universe? Now, when you were probably creating them, but like when you actually released, you said you liked sharing in the beginning when I asked you about um, writing or singing. 
Uh, yes. So where were you spiritually? Well, by the time I, even when I released the Myriad Morphonic Biocorpo Melodic Reality Shapeshifter, it hadn't been officially released. We were holding on to it and holding on to it. So I released it independently, you know, and and George was okay with it. Um, and and where I was at that time when I decided to do that was I was just extremely proactive, just wanting it to see the light of day. And I knew, okay, well, you know, we had at this point TuneCore, you know, in like distribution services where you could um, release independently. Now, when I released Kendra Foster, the self-titled album, I released it so long after it was actually created. I mean, I created a lot of that music in 2007, like eight, 2006 to eight. And I didn't release it until basically I had, hmm, shoot. I think by that point I had won the two Grammys. I wasn't just nominated. So where I was at at that point in my life was, I was on a cloud, you know, I'd won two Grammys. I felt like it was a perfect storm and a perfect time um, to release the the music independently because I had gotten a publishing deal with Sony ATV and a little advance that enabled me to release it independently um, and to go hire PR uh, firm that would have something to work with because I had won the Grammy. So that was notable or newsworthy so that it would make sense to invest in that way. I was very much in a, yet again, a proactive place um, and spiritually just ready to share this artwork, this masterpiece with the world after I had done one of my dreams. You know, I was so fulfilled by um, working with D, working with D'Angelo and um, creating this, that amazing masterpiece, Black Messiah. Um, and then of all things, you know, getting to Grammys. Here's the thing. I probably could have started my solo career in a major way a while ago, but I felt like even if I won Grammys, they wouldn't mean the same to me if I didn't follow that dream of working with D. And the thing about working with D'Angelo was that, you know, the timetable wasn't like necessarily sh short, you know, so it was, a, it was quite a risk to say, you know what, I'm putting me to the side and I want to fulfill this dream because I know it wasn't one of those things like, well, I'll blow up and circle back around because he's such a purist. He wouldn't, <laughs> I don't think he would care like, oh, okay, she's blown up. I have to work with her. He's not even on it like that. I, I really wanted to stick around and see the magic through. And then lo and behold, I won two Grammys for for sticking around and seeing the magic through. Um, so I was so spiritually fulfilled already and filled enough to like pour out 
and share my masterpiece with and, and me you know me as the solo artist with the world i was ready finally to do that because i had basically hidden under the wings of you know my idols you know or or the people that i admired and looked up to that are my musical north and south you know it's like for me it's stevie wonder d'angelo George and P-Funk and Belita Woods. And um, I had, I was just ready. Spirit, I, I, that's where I was spiritually. I was, I was, I was ready for Kendra Foster. Um, and so released it in 2016. Yeah. So yeah, I won the Grammys, yeah. Say, look at that, look at that. Everything <laughs> kind of lined up. Well, pour out you did and we received, okay. <laughs> you proclaimed that one of your mottos is you can mess with my heart but don't mess with my intellectual property has anyone ever tried it has anyone ever tried to mess with undervalue or discredit your work or your intellectual property wow um yes <laughs> There, without naming any names, unfortunately, there was, wow, I can't believe I'm even saying this, but there was someone that said that for On Black Messiah, that they felt like um, D was too generous uh, with me, D'Angelo was too generous with me on the splits, and uh that was painful because I really, really put blood, sweat, and tears into the project. You know, I really, really poured my whole self and then some into the project. And I really, really, really squeezed my, my brain and my spirit to pull out the best of me in the name of doing this masterpiece and and D'Angelo and the Vanguard justice and doing a bringing all that was that I could that I felt was my my perfection my my magic the best of me to this project and so you know sure it was just made me feel like you know I had to scream I'm not just another pretty face I'm not just some woman sitting up here. I feel like there was some doubt even because I am a woman that I could be capable of delivering that much instead of just sitting pretty and um, being amused in that way. I worked very hard with Dee. And so, yeah, to have someone question, and thankfully, you know, my manager, um, Rashidi Hendricks at the time really advocated and really spoke up for me because I did the work. I did the work. So you can mess with my heart, but don't don't mess with my intellectual property. <laughs> wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's real. You co-wrote eight out of the 12 songs of that masterpiece. So yes. Yes. Why does your, your intellectual property take precedence over your heart? Well, it's not that it does. It's that 
we get our hearts broken all the time. You know, it's hard to keep people from playing with your heart, right? Because, you know, there's free will and humans do what they do. But with your intellectual property, you know, you can get things in writing. You can secure them. You, I think it's a little harder <laughs> to secure your feelings because they're so intangible. And whereas intellectual property has an intangible quality, I guess, um, you know, pen to paper, typing timestamps, voice memos, all these things and, and getting things in writing um, and making proper agreements that are sealed and, and sound um, can help you protect that. And so, you know, I guess it's it's just that I, maybe I can't I can't stop you from breaking my heart or I can't stop people from playing with my feelings, but I can certainly do my best to secure my my magic. Okay, well said. Well said. <laughs> Are there any songs that you might have written that people might be surprised to know? Um <laughs> You know what? You might be surprised to know that I did the hook for Snoop Dogg's side piece from his Kool-Aid album. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to leave. You can stay in my house. I aim to please. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That wasn't a surprise for me, but you know, it might be a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, and it also may not be surprising because they left my voice on the hook. So you can actually kind of, you can basically hear me on there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can. I wanted to just, you know, because you're kind of humble, you know, I wanted to like name some of these songs that you were involved in writing. You were involved in writing Time on Stronger Than My Fears by Jermaine Holmes, a fellow Vanguardian. Yes. (laughs) Higher on Medicaid Fraud Dog by Parliament. Yes. Sensitive Granite on the Drumheads by Yes. Yes. See? See? That's true. Now, this one, this next one is a, one of my, uh, I, li- I like this song a lot. Um, Glass Mountain Trust. Mm. On a collection by Mark Ronson. Yes, yes. That was one of those interesting situations where sometimes, you know, the admin isn't all flushed out. And so my credit didn't make it to that song, but my split was secured. In the world of intellectual property, you know, I secured the bag and my percentage and my stake in the song, um, but unfortunately, my credit was left off. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yes, I I, I co-wrote that. I had a big hand in that song, and yeah, yes, secure the bag. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you also co-wrote two songs off of How Late Do You Have to Be Before You Are Absent by P-Funk All-Stars. You co-wrote You Can Depend on Me and Trust in Yourself. Yes. I love those titles, by the way. Yes. What else? What else? Um, You did Stillness in Motion 
on Gangsters of Love by George Clinton and his Gangsters mm. of Love. And you also co-wrote Get to Your Heart on Love Life Live by none other than Isaiah Sharkey, another fellow Ben Guardian. <laughs> yes, Sharkey. Yo, that your song credit <laughs> list is, is solid. Okay, that's just a few of them. There's more to that. Okay. There's more, yes. And I co-wrote or I wrote the hook for Domo Genesis's questions. Hey. Dom, yes, Domo Genesis from um I Future. Nice. Oh, 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 oh. 